people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I, the only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset going to mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wander. So all I know is Samba deer, but the more, the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. And we're recording. Good evening, everyone. It's Rob Herbert from Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm sitting in Marty Phillips' lounge room um, with our good mate Brendo um, and Marty, obviously, and his puppy dog, Marty's puppy dog, Keita, who's joined us for a podcast on our trip that we did this year to New Zealand. So the podcast itself is um, going to be, I guess, around tips, tricks and ideas, things that we found were... Um, impedance to success I guess um, and things that we found really helped kick us down the road to being able to achieve um, a good solid week and a half over in New Zealand and um, have as little hiccups as possible. So good evening guys Marty how are you? Good how are you? How are you going? Yeah good Brendo? Yeah I'm good. Yep. I'm good. Brendo's <laughs> a little bit, little bit crook. <laughs> Brendo's crook is um, picked up a bug that his newborn's given him and he's running the John Law's golden mic. So we had to improvise tonight and get a uh, a third mic because um, one didn't turn up in the mail because Australia Post let us down once again. So um, we hope that the sound quality isn't that bad that when you're listening to it, it's too effective or it affects you too much. So guys, I guess um, we've got a bit of a list to go through for um, the stuff that we started with our planning, I guess. Is that the first, is that what we're up to? Yeah, yeah, we've got, um, yeah, so we got a bit of stuff about before the trip and, you know, we, we wanted to hunt a tar, so that's what our, you know, goal was. Um, yeah, so then we sort of got together as a bit of a group and, you know, a f- few phone calls and stuff like that and, uh yeah, sort of had to come together and worked out, you know, what we wanted to do, how we're going to go about it. and So how many months out was that that we first started to get together? Oh, I'm not sure, to be honest. Maybe, Probably uh, s- November, October or something. Six months, maybe. Yeah. And when did we go? April. April, April. yeah. Yep. Feels like, yeah, years ago now, but... So it was 2018 that we got together to plan it. Yeah. And 2019 we went. Yeah. Yep, yep. This year, yep. I think we caught up maybe on a Sunday and... Yeah, had a couple of beers and just sat down and yeah, tried to nut it out. It was good, you know, like I don't have much social media stuff, so it was good to sort of sit down with you two and especially Marty with all these connections <laughs> and uh, yeah, sit down and try and work out a bit of a game plan. Um, yeah. Well, going back to that day, we uh, I think we did a conference call with Tom Jones when he was running his... Um, hunting business over there to get a few tips and tricks as well, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, yep. we yeah. did get on him on the mic um, just because of the Brendan's paperwork with taking his rifle over. You needed to know someone that was based or residents of New Zealand to put down on the form. Yeah. So, yeah, even if you go in the wilderness or out in the forest, whatever, for a week, two weeks, you still need to have a fixed residential address for your firearm per yeah. se, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and we just even called him to get some um, ground info, you know. Well, yeah. 
where we're, we're going to hunt hunt tar and we want to hunt tar we want to hunt tar in april um, um yeah we come there in yeah. april where should we go look yeah i guess we are pretty lucky like even like checking out the huts and stuff on the phone like everything's instant like yeah back in the days like the <laughs> people that have been doing it for 10 15 looking 20 years map, yeah looking at trying to look at maps and yeah it's yeah. it is pretty easy these days yeah even just um typing in a hut nearby or you know you could just get on google image and you could see the river systems and the hills and yeah. where the hut was situated and think about the weather and yeah, so so we we sort of had a uh, plan A, B, and C down to I think Z um, <laughs> that we formulated. That plan A is that we're going to go and hunt this particular area, and I think it's no secret that a lot of people hunt around the Mount Cook area, yeah. Um, and that we decided that we're going to go and have a look up um, one of the valleys up in there, um, but we weren't quite sure how to approach it, or what sort of country, or the river levels, or what sort of gear we needed. Mm. Um, and having that contact with the guys on the ground really helped us sort of kick our butts into gear, I guess, about, holy shit, we need to get some stuff prepped um, and make sure we've got some things in place. So the, the first place that we looked at um, when we got on the ground, it actually eventually, it, it didn't eventuate really, did no, it? No, no. It was a no. close to a slide. It was a... a yeah, yeah. and the bridge is closed and, yeah, we just couldn't get in there. You, or you could have crossed that big river and, and had a go maybe, but decided to pull the pin especially walking in at night yeah that in, that in dark yeah and that's why we said we always had yeah a option a b c d and e all the way through and i think that that really came back to the day that we um, got together and planned that we sort of went okay let's get a couple of plans in place here and i think that's important for anyone that's listening that um when you're planning any trip especially to an overseas um destination and I've got to also say that we were unguided, so we decided to do it as just three ruffigans yep. um, to hit the ground running. So we didn't go with a guide, mm-hmm. which is different to a scenario to what we're talking about tonight, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think the initial planning day was was pretty cool. We got some maps out and had a look at that. Um, as Marty said, did some geographical work with um, Google and um, looked at some particular spots that we may have thought we wanted to go to and ticked off some places from that. So you don't even need, I think, to have, um, you know, too deep a search on any of the social media accounts of anyone that hunts over there to see that they're in a particular place with game on the ground to actually put a pin drop on a map to say we want to hunt there. Yeah. 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 There's, and there's that many of them, you know, that you don't have to just sort of follow someone else. You can... There's so many other places you can go. And all the New Zealanders were so helpful. You just go to the server or, you know, whatever. Say that you're hunting tar and next minute they're telling you about their uncle or cousin or whoever. And that they're going, you know, they go up this system and up that river valley or, you know. Yeah, they're grazing on the side of the road and go up and see Joan at the the homestead. It's pretty pretty much the opposite of Australia. Yeah. And and where do you hunt salmon deer? It's pretty much the opposite. (laughs) Yes. Well, peeling it back, I guess. So we had our day that we um, planned um, and then we decided that we needed to look at a number of different things and I think that we gave each other some responsibilities. Yep, yep. That, um, that really helped breaking it down. You know, who's we're going to need a car, we're going to need accommodation, we're gonna, who's going to do flights, who's going to do the permits. Um, yeah, there's all the, all the little... Because we were both, you know, we've all got our gear pretty much sorted before we went. 
which is helpful. Like I'm sure we're experienced there, hunters. There's, yep. Yeah, there's other bits and pieces that we might have needed to get here and there, but all just minor stuff. Um, but that so that helped just having knowing that everyone's got the right gear. We all use the same sort of radio system, GPS, blah blah. blah. Um, yeah, so it's good to know that part, and then we sort of need to just work out the other parts of the trip that we hadn't got sorted yet, like the flights and and accommodation. The and technical the, side. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The permits, you know, that's you want to make sure you get all that right before you rock up. I think the first permit that we looked at, Marty printed them off on the day, I think, yeah. was the application to actually <laughs> hunt over there, the, the docks yeah, application. Yeah, the dock permits, yep. Yep, so what, um, was, what was that about, Marty? Well, yeah, we were actually at the Tusk Open Day, I think, and I was chatting to Mark from Marksman's Quivers. and um, it's a good yeah, fella. Yeah, pretty knowledgeable, and he's been stick boat hunting over there for a fair while. Um, yeah, so he's like, whatever you do, make sure you've... Even though you probably won't get checked, just make sure. And if you go into the South Island, just pretty much tick everything on the South Island because your plans might turn rubbish. So it's better to have every area ticked and, I guess, yeah. Um, Cover off on all those likely and unlikely events. Yeah. So when you're saying to make sure they're ticked, that's an actual tick box yeah. when you make the application online yep. um, to where you're going to be it's and like, what you want to hunt. Yeah, they're in uh, wilderness areas, I'm pretty sure. And, um, yeah, you just pretty much just put a tick on them and, yeah, that's it. So there's one for the North Island. So, yeah, if you're going to hunt the North Island, you just do all the North Island, then south to south. So it's pretty easy. And that might sound obvious, but it's something that when you're in the heat of the moment and quite excited that you're filling in the right permit for the right area. Mm. Yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah, because they're pretty hard over there as well when uh, you are somewhere where you shouldn't be and hunting the wrong species and... And you haven't got permission, so just to make sure that you've got all of that stuff sort of squared away is always a yeah. a handy thing. I just yeah. at this point in time want to uh, have a shout out too to Sean Mullins, who um, certainly gave us a lot of information too. He's an Australian hunter, but um, you know to be able to link in with that group in Australia of guys that have been over backwards and forwards. Um, he was hunting hunting with our good mate Matty March over there for quite a while before Matty passed away, and um, he was a you know Sean was an absolute um, you know. Wealth of experience, I guess, in being able to say, do this, do that, this is what you need for the firearms permit or whatever else that we needed to do. Yeah. So, so rolling back, so we got our permits to hunt um, the South Island. So we yeah, got that, correct, that yep. stuff sorted. And that was a pretty easy application, really, online, yep. ticked and printed, and then we put them away. So we Yeah, just put them in a little Ziploc bag yeah. and then just put them in our backpack, yeah. Yep. You have them with you. Yep. And you can print off a couple of copies, like you could have one... You know, for the travel bag on the plane and as well as one in your pack and one in your first acre, you could just have as many as you want. You just print them off. Yeah, yep. Just keep them dry. Happy days. Yeah, and I think that having that um, in, a, in a spot that you can... Um, Marty's just going to move his puppy dog because I think she wants to go to the toilet or go outside or something similar. Um, <laughs> having your permits accessible in your hunting gear um, and dry so that when you peel it open, it doesn't have... You know, you can read it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I swear, cool. officer, it's, it is one. It, it is says me. <laughs> well, the next permit that um, we really needed to focus on and make sure that you had in time was your firearms permit. And this this is pre um, that terrible incident that occurred. Mm. Um, yeah, just before the massacre. Just before the massacre. So the mosque. Yeah, that was just um, just a hideous thing that's occurred to humanity. But this is our planning was pre that. So up until that stage, it was seemingly a lot easier to get... Smooth sailing. Yeah, so to, <laughs> so to speak. Um, 
So you had to apply, Brendo, for a whole bunch of different stuff for your yeah. firearms. Do you remember all that stuff? Or? Yeah, it's, yeah, I'll try my best to remember it, but I'm sure I'll forget bits and pieces. But I, I just remember, um, so I sat down for a whole day at home and um, I think I was, you know, just Googling as you do, um, trying to find where I needed to contact via Australia because the New Zealand side of it was like, no worries. It just, it was like... Um, NZ Police, and then um, I think there was like on their website a firearms part, and then it had an email. I just sent an email straight to that saying, I want to come to New Zealand, I want to travel with a firearm, what do I need to do? And then, you know, within a day or two, I got an email back from NZ um, Police with all the attachment information I needed. Fill it out. Um, I think it was just write down your serial number of your gun, you know, what caliber, the action. You know, like just all your usual stuff you'd fill out when you're yep. talking about a firearm so they know it's yours and who it belongs to. Yep. Um, and then sent that off and I just got a like a nearly auto reply email saying that it's been accepted and then just waiting pending. Um, yeah, so I was like, cool, too easy, no worries. And then went back to the Australian side of it. And um, yeah, I don't know, maybe just I had trouble, you know, I wasn't researching the right things and not right asking the right people but i sort of got like led around by um a few different phone numbers that would send me to someone else and then they couldn't help me out so they sent me someone else and then anyway i think after about four or five frustrating phone calls and <laughs> no reply emails um someone i got onto someone who said um, you need to contact the client services at tullamarine in melbourne yep and once i got a hold of that you know it was it was pretty easy it was just you know we need your id you know um just like your standard three points of id 100, of stuff. 100 points yep. yeah um your firearm your serial number all that sort of stuff um and then going through that process of backwards and forwards until i got the right piece of paper i needed and then i just um yeah i printed off a copy of all the, the that information and <laughs> Catching some nose breath there, uh, yeah. So got that um, all that all that permits, and then put them in a bit of um, a bit of paper, like waterproof paper, in a folder. And I just had them laid out so that when I arrived, I could when they asked for the information, I wasn't pulling stuff out of a bag and all. Yeah, I was already frazzled, but <laughs> um, I could just flip through the folder and and show them this or show them that, because um, the Australian side of it seemed really strict. Um, and it, and it, it kind of was, but it wasn't like the guys down there were really helpful, but just leading up to it just seemed like, is this even going to happen? Yep. <laughs> but the New Zealand side of it seems so blase is like too easy. Um, but yeah, just before like we're leaving, I think we're two weeks out and I didn't even know if I was coming and, and you guys were chasing up a, a <laughs> rifle over there for me. Yep. I'm a left-hander, so it's sort of hard and I'd done, yeah. I'd done a full weekend or more than a weekend of, um, testing, know, testing factory yeah, ammo factory just ammo. You, yeah. I'll, I'll buy some when I get there I won't take any hand loads over just be a bit easier yeah, yeah just because the whole ammunition side of it I'm pretty sure there's extra forms and stuff yeah. to fill out yep. it's not much of a drama after we met those yeah. after we met those boys at the airport they were flying with Qantas and I think you're going to take what 20, 50, 50 rand, pills 50 yeah. Rand, yeah. yeah just in another small lockbox container like a money tin form, yeah. um, you know so I just thought it might have been another ring around but um so I just chose to buy factory ammo over there, which meant having to recite my gun, my seven mil in with factory ammo and, 
and um, you know practice at longer distance with it factory yep. rounds because you know it was shooting really well with the hand loads that I had made up by an old bloke back in town and um, yeah I couldn't just get that over there so I had to sort of work know, out what's going to have a compromise yeah shoot the best out of your, your rifle yeah yeah um, we've just done that also I want to uh, just shout out to the brothers of Boo who's a, a group of um, keen hunters over New Zealand who actually were able to offer up a couple of firearms um, that Brendo could have used if he needed to, but um, Brendo managed to sort his stuff out with some factory yep. loads um, for his 7 mil. And just on that, um, I'm going to be um, a bit harsh on the time and cutting backwards and forwards with different things, but um, Brendo, what rifle did you go over to New Zealand with? Uh, it was a 7 mil Lukatika, yep. um, 7 mil Rem Mag. Cool. What did you go over, Marty, with? Uh, Matthews Traverse, bow, compound bow. And I went over with a traditional bow. So I looked like a piccolo <laughs> player. <laughs> Marty looked like he was playing, the, you know, like a, a yeah, small guitar, or, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you just looked like a criminal. Yeah, <laughs> I just looked like a hired hitman yeah. with a red beard. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Brendo is a little bit rangry at times. But, um, yeah, so move on for that. So I think um, the biggest thing to take away from all of that about organising your stuff <clears throat> Um, Brendo had all of his, um, everything that he had was already sorted uh, in a, what do you call those folders? You know, Student with the portfolio. Yeah, it just a portfolio. From high school. <laughs> yeah, just a plastic sleeve, you know, slip-in sleeve. But when you're flustered and there's people asking a million questions and you're wanting to get on to the next flight, which is all time uh, yeah, precious yeah, and yeah. people need to see documentation... When you've got it sorted in a folder, um, it's quite easy to be able to, you know, when you're you're looking and you feel like your eyes are welded together, you just can't read the information in front of you. If you've got your shooter's license copied there, if you've got your firearms um, ownership paper sh that shows that you own that firearm in there, that you've got the right permits to bring the firearm into the into the country that you're going to or out of the country that you're leaving, um, all those sort of bits and pieces, um, even the last obscure things that you don't think that you might need you know copies of your victorian or whatever game license you have in your state that's in your folder you just don't know when you require those little yeah. bits of information that someone might ask someone well where's your game permit yeah you know um, to hunt you know so even bringing it back in so um Marty had a had a good suggestion too that you take a photograph of your firearm with the scope on it and those sort of bits and pieces as you um, exit the country that you're hunting from. Um, as obviously our listeners aren't just Australian as well, yeah. um, so that if you're pulled up on your way back into the country that you've come from, so you'd mm. say from Australia to New Zealand, that you can show that you had a Swarovski scope on your rifle when you left yep. and when you're coming back in you've got a Swarovski scope on your rifle yeah. that you didn't leave with a Redfield scope and then you've come <laughs> back with a Swarovski scope get a cheeky upgrade over there you know, and then <laughs> customers wants to sting you for import tax on something that was always on your rifle Yeah. so um, that's just a little bit of a thing so our planning day we covered off on all of our geographical areas that we wanted to look at I just wanted to say too, yep. with the rifle, um, yeah, especially because there was three of us, um, one took the rifle, I was saying to Herbie, when uh, just the one-on-one -on -one phone call this week, I said it's nearly better off if one's going to take the rifle, you should all take the rifles because you're still going to have to wait for your mate to go through the same processes um, 
getting his paperwork checked and stuff. And I, my rifle, uh, sorry, my bow case ended up going with Brendo's um, Pelican case because I've got um, just a Plano hard box, and they thought there was a rifle in there because they obviously didn't have much of an idea. And Herbie with his cello case, <laughs> um, yeah, they just thought it was whatever. So that that came through on the turnstiles, no dramas. But yeah, my bow was with Brendan's firearm, so I ended up having to go to the same places that Brendan did. So yeah. I think too that um, talking about that, that it comes down to the individual behind the desk at whatever office you're landing in, whether it's customs or in an airport, yeah. as to whether they thought it was a weapon or whether it wasn't a weapon. Yeah. So yeah. clearly a firearm is a weapon and a bow isn't in the, under in the Australia, fire in Australia. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. under the Firearms Act and those sort of bits and pieces. So even just um storage as well like yeah. Yeah, Brendan. Yeah, it was ridiculous like Yeah, Brendan can explain. I left, yeah. left Australia with the bolt in the rifle that was all fine and I I even pulled the rifle out at the um office um at the airport. The officers there looked over it, they were happy with it. Um put the bolt back in, put it back in the case, locked it up. Flew to New Zealand. We landed in Auckland. Picked it up. Um, then we're about to hop on our connecting flight to the South Island to Christchurch. And um, the lady at the desk is, was is asking, you know, about the rifle and the information. And then she asked the question: "Is has the bolt been removed?" I said, oh, "No, it's not." So well, that's going to have to come out. And I was like, "Oh, well, it's left Australia with it in it. But yeah. sure, if you need it out, I can take it out. Have you got somewhere I can go?" She's like, "I oh, just take it out here." And this is after the massacre, <laughs> and she just wanted me to take the rifle out at the desk and take the bullet out in front of all the yeah. So literally cycling the weapon yeah in the <laughs> airport yeah. so that you can remove your bolt. You didn't want to end up like a chocolate starfish on the ground. Yeah, in security <laughs> security. <laughs> You know, seven hundred. So that's just something else to take notice yeah, of. Just yeah, just because yeah, all even, airlines have different rules. Like they have different, different rules about the bolt. They have different rules about the container you use, the weight, um, where you store the ammunition, how you wrap it up. Um, yeah, yeah. To, that would. So the thing to take away from that is to do your research with the air f- air flight that you're taking there or coming back with, making sure that you comply with the right. Um, rules to make sure that things are expedited and we'll come back to actually when you get to Melbourne when we fly out of Melbourne because mm. that was our experience um, but if, if we want to make sure that we make a note of that yeah. <coughs> about where you go to so you're not walking around the whole airport like we were with our firearm yeah. making people freaked out but anyway long story short so our planning day we covered off on um, geographical stuff um, who was going to re- be responsible and broke it down so that everyone in the trip had some responsibility so it wasn't just yep. all landed on one person yep. We looked at um, finances as well, I think, how much things were going to cost us and what we, we were prepared to pay so yep. that there was, from the very gecko, there, uh, there was a clear understanding of from all of us of where we were going with the budget. Yep. And I think that as a group of mates, that's a good thing to talk about as mm. well, to know that, well, I really am only prepared to pay 100 bucks a day for a car where someone else might say, well, I'll pay 500 Yeah. So one person in the group isn't yeah. left in a different sort of yeah. stratosphere. Not everyone lives the same life, so if you can meet everywhere in the middle, yeah, yeah, happy days. It's, it's hard good. too with the car. Like obviously you need a car, but then you're hunting, so you're not with your car. So your car's just either sitting at the road or yeah, at the parking lot for five, for yeah, yeah. For, for a week or five days, whatever. But you also so yeah. want something that's going to take you to where you need to get to go. So we'll, yeah, we'll especially with, especially with the luggage factor. Yeah, like if. So we'll move on to the car in a short amount of time when we hit the ground yeah, in New right. Zealand. But prior to that, I think the next thing we want to move on to that everyone talks about being fit to go to New Zealand and that hills in Australia are not hills in New Zealand. And that's the truth. Mm. Uh, I think um, 
the things that I prepared and a lot of people that follow me on social media see that I was in the gym and doing a whole lot of muscle shots and all that sort of stuff or whatever. But <laughs> um, I'm a particularly fat guy. I'm a big guy. And um, I really had to work on my cardio which was and my legs, which was the um, two things I think that I needed for New Zealand. Um, and I certainly spoke to um, a whole lot of guys that lived in New Zealand or had hunted New Zealand to ask about altitude climbs for the day, what sort of pack weight should I have or shouldn't have if we're going to be fly camping or um, all those sort of things. Um, Brenda, you're pretty fit. You, you climb trees all day. Yeah, I'm sort of lucky that my job keeps me fit and I don't really do a whole lot of um, you know, physical exercise on the weekends or in my spare time other than hunting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, was sort of, I didn't find it too bad. Um, and I only did sort of a slight training beforehand and, you know, I put my pack on and loaded it up and did different, different walks and found the steepest hill I could find, which is nothing compared to what you encounter. Yeah. But Mind you, when Brendan's got his shirt off, he looks like a tiger shark. He's just, <laughs> <laughs> he's just all business underneath there and he's like 67 kilos, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. a big heart pushing that machine. But yeah, yeah, definitely, um, fitness is the key for sure in yep. New Zealand. And you can get chopped in and stuff like that, but... Um, you still like walking to the animal and up and down the hills and getting to your spots and glassing and all that. Like you got to go up and down that stuff. Yeah, even if you still get chopped in, like you still got to walk, I guess. Yeah. Well, Marty, you did a bit of um, pre-training as well. There was a few photos of you on Instagram and whatever else, but I know that you were out with your. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I just had the twenty kilo cement bag in the pack, and then yeah, I was just doing. I don't know, nothing stupid, probably only three or four Ks, different walks, trying to do two or three times a week. Um, and then, yeah, went to the Thousand Stairs and then fully loaded me pack up with pretty much all the gear, obviously except me bow. And, um, yeah, walked up that a few times during the day, half day probably there to try and get the legs working. But, yeah, like you said, nothing, um, you can't really train for New Zealand well. I guess you sort of can, but... Do your best. Yeah, you yeah. can do your best. And that's what I said, like, especially like walking on those river river rocks, like, there's 10 and 20 centimetre like, boulders all the time and your ankles are just working from side to side. Like, You just really need to walk up a riverbed with a heavy pack on mm. with incline and then, uh, yeah. So I think, um, I'm, I'm no sports scientist, but I think if you used a BOSI ball in the gym and you stood on that um, to get all of those stabilizers firing in your ankles um i think would be a really handy thing because there is a lot of like marty was saying particularly where we went well it wasn't anywhere particular that we went everywhere that we found where we had boots on the ground was volcanic disruption so yeah. we had um landslides or rocky creek bottoms and that sort screes. of stuff screes and it's all unstable extreme angle type stuff and a lot of weight with your pack on and and whatever else and i think that um, making sure that you've got good core, good good yep. stabilizers, and um, you know, without that, the reason why we're harping on about it, I guess, is that if you're not fit enough to actually get to your camp and enjoy the walk in, you won't enjoy your hunt because it's only up from where your camp is. Mm. Um, Especially if the hut's taken and and you're going to have to hunt, you know, camp somewhere else. Yeah, you might have another couple of like the New Zealanders say. Oh, cheer, bro. It's only half an hour up the road, bro. And half an hour in New Zealand speak yeah. is yeah, like yeah. seven hours in Australian speak. <laughs> At least two hours, yeah. <laughs> you know. Truly, though, they really, you know, the New Zealanders have it all over us with their 
um, hill climbs because they certainly have hills. You know, well, I think you did about twenty something k's on some particular days, Brendo. Yeah, that last day, that last day killed me. I think I, yeah, most <coughs> days you're sort of averaging eighteen or something like that. But it's the vertical climb. Like I think it was two kilometers vertical climb that I did for the whole day. It's not in one go, but you're obviously going up and down so much that when I checked the GPS at the end of the day, you know, two k's of just straight up, and then you know, add that eighteen in the distance. It's yeah. It's not just yeah. It's not just a walk in the park. No, definitely <laughs> not. Marty Ma- experienced a similar thing. Think. Yeah, I had a, yeah. That last day was perfect. Like yeah, with the drizzle and the rain and stuff, and yeah, I put in a solid day that day. And so then yeah, seeing critters and that, but I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, being the last day, but anyway, <laughs> anyway. last day. So I think that's where your fitness and your ability to uh, build some mental resilience really comes into the play, or into the fore, I guess, where. On your perfect day at home in the gym where you're not getting rained on and you haven't got, you know, sleet or any of those other conditions that you may face when you're hunting in the Alps of New Zealand, Mm. um, you know, you can have a tough day when you're on the treadmill or whatever else. But when you're in um, New Zealand, you might kick off in the morning (coughs) with it being sunny and beautiful and then by the afternoon it's coming so foggy that you can't see your left foot in front of your right and it's rainy and it's cold yep. and it's icy and those sort of things. So I think that the fitness really helps build some mental resilience as well to be able to get you back to your fly camp as well. Yep. A couple of nights, Brenda, you came home. <laughs> that, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that stuck last it, night. Stuck, night. In, <laughs> stuck in the bottle, yeah. If I had an EPUB, I would have hit it. <laughs> yep. Seriously, he was uh, in strife at one stage. and yep. um, you know. But I think that good teamwork, we all hunted solo pretty much. Um, even though we came together, we would um, put a fly camp together if it was in a hut or out on the ground, and then we would all hunt solo in different directions. Um, so talking about that, the gear that keeps us um, going all day, um, <coughs> we'll start off with from the bottom and go up, I guess, boots. Mm-hmm. I, I wore Lowers, Rangers, uh, and I found them to be a really good stable boot. Um, I would certainly not um, disregard any of the other boots that you see on the market from um, Mendel, that thing, Stagger Sports sell them over in New Zealand, and I tried a couple of pairs on over there, and they were pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, to the whole lot of different range of boots that are that are out there. Um, but I found personally that my ranges are good. Marty, what did you go with? Yeah, I had my lower Tibets, which are awesome. Yeah, being a bit of a stiffer boot, they're probably I don't know. They're they're good in Australia with the heavy pack on the thirty kilo, thirty five kilo pack on. But general stalking, they're not the best. But over there, because the the terrain so steep and um, yeah, always on the screeds and stuff. They're really good. What'd you go with, Brendan? Yeah, I've got the same as Marty. Yep. Um, I've had them for nearly uh, five, six years now, um, and they're a really good boot. I love them. Um, but yeah, I did find that I've formed blisters that I've I've had them for five or six years hunting samba here. But you're just doing crazy angles with the backs of your feet and yeah. stuff that I just hadn't worn that part out of the boot. Yeah, yep. You that's know, what you're saying. saying. Like the, the angle that you put your heel on when you're going up some of those hills is like the only way to try and prepare for it is find a flight of steps. Don't walk up the step, but put your foot between the two steps and then put your foot on that angle <laughs> yeah. and try and walk up the steps like that. Yep, yep. And that's what you're saying too. Like if you had a known, like you would have bought a size bigger. Yeah. Just because when your toes like try and bunch up at the end, if you've got that bit of room, like you won't yeah. lose the yeah, toenails like yourself. Yeah, I lost my big toe and toenail and the other ones either side of the big toenails just because of how much cramming was going on up and down the hills. Cram. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's just something 
something to take notice about too, yeah. Make sure your footwear is not just well-fitting for Australia, but get some advice to make sure mm. that if you need that little bit more toe box in your boot, if you are going to be coming down yep. what we call hills in Australia, <laughs> they call inclines in New Zealand. <laughs> so, um, And this is about the podcast, this is about hunting New Zealand and the extremities that you can face over there, which are rarely found conditions in Australia with the... Yeah. Uh, those, like Brenda was saying, those ridiculous cramped things, because you are climbing around basically, you know, abseiling type. Yeah, you're holding on to, because you're going to fall over backwards if you don't hold on, so as you're climbing, you're grabbing stuff in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy country, <laughs> but um, good yeah. good to, uh, I guess, um, talk about all this stuff in its different, um, you know, the golden light and the, the dark light of the, the good things about products that we talk and, and whatever else. So moving on from the boots, um, Marty organised me a pair of waterproof seal skin socks prior to going. I wore those um, from our um, base camp out mm-hmm. when I knew that I was going to be crossing rivers, which is almost a daily event yeah, in New Zealand. Sure, yeah. um, <clears throat> you don't have to cross rivers, but um, you're going to get wet in New Zealand. Even just the dew off the grass, like in that tussocky grass, it's the same as up the yeah. high country here at Lakola and all yeah. that. And yeah, um, it's knee high, and you just get yeah. soaked through the top of the gator down. Yep. Yep. Well, I think um, the sealskin is a brand, Marty. That's yeah. Yep. Sealskin's a UK brand. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yep. Um, and I, I don't even know where Marty got them from, but I know that there are some Australian stockers, stockists of them. I found them quite comfortable to wear as a sock. I didn't need to wear an undersock or anything like that, but you still have to wring them out at the end of the day. They're not going to be the answer to staying bone dry, but they certainly keep you dry for you know 50 yeah. to maybe 70% longer than a normal pair of footy socks or whatever you might wear. Yeah, your merino socks or your yeah. woolen socks, yeah. Um, so that's what I wore. What did you wear for your sock wear, Marty? Um, yeah, I just had those first light athletic athletic socks on um, and then when I knew I was going to get wet I put the seal skin on and yeah obviously the seal skin are awesome especially if your boots are wet you're putting your foot into a warm boot um, yeah the only problem is you get a bit of leg sweat so especially if you're climbing up those hills um, that's the only downside but yeah how'd you find the first light socks yeah awesome yeah I I got them sent over before I before I went and then yeah trained with them on and yeah they're really good they stay up they don't fall down they're just like a I don't know what blend they're made out of um, but yeah they're just like a high performance sock and they just stay up like higher than your gaiters and they're really comfortable yeah yep didn't find them to give you any sort of um, you know pain around your knees stri- restriction in blood flow that sort of stuff no no, no. remember what you wore just yeah, Brendo? just whatever I had in the pantry. In the, <laughs> in the pantry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had a blue and a red sock. I think that <laughs> most of my socks I wear for work are like, you know, 70 or 80% wool. Yep. Merino yep. wool. So, yeah, we'll just grab, you know, a couple of pairs out of there because yep. I try and wear two pairs of socks while I'm wearing hunting boots. Yep. Um, just helps, yeah, with that blisters and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, because none of us strapped our feet up beforehand, did we? <clears throat> no. No. Because we all the, thought we were pretty comfortable, yeah. The I've got to come back to the fact that all three of us are experienced samba hunters and solo hunting and that sort of stuff isn't something new to us. So for anyone that's new to hunting that's just thinking that they're going to go and um, bomb up with whatever we're talking yeah, about. Don't, don't just, wear cotton. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cotton is rotten. Bam- <laughs> yeah. Cotton is rotten. Bamboo socks, no good. Good yeah. in the hot, but yeah, they take ages to dry. 
So these are all points and tips, I guess, for, from us being um, down the road a little bit further than your newbie guy that, um, you know, so our boots are already worn in, that sort of stuff. So I wore some Tusk leggings underneath everything, which was, uh, for me, pretty, it kept me nice and warm. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty happy with them. Um, the ones that had the zips on the side, I found a pain in the bum because I've got a fat gut and that the zips would undo on the sides and turn into stripper pants. <laughs> and that's not always ideal when you've got a pack on and you've got to constantly stop and hike your, your underpants up. So um, I found that the other tusk pants that um, I wore, which were the just the full elastic side without any zipper in them, they were they, for me, they were much better. Yeah, the polythermals. Um, yeah. That's what I think me and Brendo had yeah. over there, yeah. And then yeah, even one, yeah, and even one day I just went without thermals because yeah, most of the New Zealand guys they just wear their rugby shorts or footy Short shorts, shorts and ga- yeah, yeah, and a little ga- a little gaiter, not like a snake gaiter or a high gaiter over here in Australia. They just wear like a little boot lace gaiter, pretty much to keep your boot laces clean and stuff. Yeah, yeah, just stopping in those suits getting in there. Yeah, and I I, I actually um, to talk about that we stopped into the um, hunting and fishing New Zealand store um, in Christchurch and I picked up a pair of um, Stony Creek Stony Creek Gators and Hunt Tech shorts Uh, and the Hunt Tech shorts I wore for pretty much the whole trip over the top of my um, Tusk pants Mm -hmm. Um, and they were just mint. Were they fleece were they? They had a dry bum in them and they had like a fleecy type front I'm not sure the the poly blend that was in them but the Hunt Tech stuff was just Awesome, like yeah, they they're, they're like a full-on like a athletic athletic running short, like um yeah, not like cargo pockets and heaps of other accessories and that, just like a no frills rugby short or yeah running like short. Classic old yakkers, yeah, shorty shorts. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were actually unreal. The gusset that was in the middle of them gave me enough um, stretch so that when I was climbing up the hills, that there was um, unlike you know you, your traditional ruggers which are just sewn together. Um, through the crutch um, and it sort of pulls a little tight on your legs when you're walking up the hills that the Huntech shorts that I put on they actually allowed you to have enough leg movement on those really steep sides so that you didn't feel like you were getting um, cut off at the knee so to speak um, and then from there on in I think it was just a daily choice going up the body from what we wore as under uh, like our first layer I wore more tusk stuff so whether it was a um, their Tusk has just put out a new line where they did about 12 months ago and I, and I put a thermal top on on those days that I needed and then just another Tusk top, whatever it may be, on the top. So the zip-off shoulders, I'm not even sure what that one's called, mm-hmm. but it had the zip-off shoulders on it so I could convert it into like a um, vest um, and get rid of the shoulders, if the arms, pieces if I needed to. Um, I wore that quite a lot and that was quite... Um, Comfy for me because I could actually regulate my temperature. You got it there, Marty? Yeah, I'm just having a... Yeah, that's the Schist Convert shirt. Yep. So, yeah, that's got the removable arms. So, yeah, it's not as bulky, I guess. And if you're a bow hunter too, you got your arms free. So the Tusk stuff um, is made in... Well, designed in Australia by guys that hunted New Zealand, I guess, originally. So to me, it was well suited to those conditions. Um, you can still, it's a lot of stock, it's stockless across Australia, but the Tusk gear is um, T-U-S-X, like a boar's tusk, um, yeah, yep. is how you pronounce it. 
um, and you can find it anywhere really. And we're not um, brand promoting or brand bashing, it's just the stuff that we took and found was good or wasn't good. Um, Brendo, what did you wear for your top? Yeah, well, most of my stuff I just wear Hunter's Element and always have. Yep. Um, and then any underlayer stuff is just your yeah, polypro, polypropylene stuff that you'd buy or merino wool from any hiking store yep. that I've got left over from university. And I just wear that and that does the job. But yeah, Marty, you know, got me some, some of those Tusk leggings and I really liked them. They were really good. Yep. They wicked water really well and uh, always stayed warm because, you know, both all of us three, we decided to, you know, not wear pants because we find that the water just tends to hang on and it never dries. Whereas if you wear, um, you know, your thermal leggings, it gives the water a chance to evaporate off your legs yep. and you stay that little bit drier. Totally. Um, yeah. And that's the same for the rain where I've got... Um, uh, oh no, that's right. I had a Gore-Tex jacket from Aussie Disposals for, yep. my, for my top um, for the rainwear, and that you know that worked fine on that last day. I got wet on the inside and the outside because <laughs> if it's not raining on the outside, you get sweaty on the inside, <laughs> and, yep. and then yeah, just just rained all day, so it was inevitable that I was going to get wet. But that's what yeah, that's what I took over. Marty, for you? Yeah, I had um, yeah mainly tough stuff, the same stuff as Herbie. Um, yeah, one of their thermal T-shirts. I don't know what the name was. And then I just found um, the long sleeve with the hood and the face veil in it, the Cayenne mask hoodie. That was really good. It's got thumb holes as well, so it covers your hands. And, yep. um, yeah, I like that for stalking around, especially in the tussocks and that. That was really good. You can go full concealment with that. And, it's yeah, obviously it's not super heavy and you can just use it as a thermal layer if you want as well. So, yeah, I was really happy with that top. So I think importantly, the one thing that you want to look at when you're looking at gear to take is your pack weight um, because you want to minimise that stuff, yep. right? Um, so um, taking lots of woolen, heavy woolen stuff is probably going to be at a disadvantage when you've got so much modern gear on the market. You don't have to spend $200 on the top. You can go to Aussie Disposals and buy stuff there there's nothing wrong with that and there's some good stuff in Aussie disposals but you want to look at longevity of being able to live in a a set of clothing over a week as opposed to when you're at home mm. and you might change every day yeah, yeah. so I think yeah I only had one pair of civilian clothes which I guess I flew over there with and had in the car and the rest was just hunting and then maybe spare pair of pants maybe that I wore around the hut but yep. yeah everything else was just me camo because that's yeah, when you, you had pants on yeah exactly but um, that's just when <laughs> you get pin for, pin, for extra, <laughs> pin, pin for extra luggage I guess yeah by taking heaps of clothes over so yeah well, that's a good point too yep. I mean you carry on on um, on the plane and that sort of stuff yeah, you've got so. seven kilos on the yeah. plane and then you're only going to spend a night at one end of the trip and at the other end that you know hotel you only really need one set whereas I you know I brought too much stuff but <laughs> Always. Two pairs of boots. Yeah, that's that's hard too. Yeah, so that's. So we'll we'll come back to um, that. We'll just move on to I guess like we're yep. painting oh. a bit of a robo robo um, copper or an army guy. So looking at um, being dry in New Zealand, I took over the Maroka Thirty um, pack jacket, which yep. I've had for a couple of years. Um, I swear by it. It's a fantastic, really light, balls up, really small. Um, I I find it's fantastic. Um, so that was my outer shell. I didn't really worry about keeping my legs dry. I just wanted to keep my core dry if that was going to be the issue at the time. 
Um, and I also put in um, some stuff that I got from Kafaru. So I put in their sheep tarp so that if it was going to be pouring down and caught me out during the day, um, then I had that as a extra. also had the Kafaru Lost Parker Parker, their puffy jacket, um, which was just unreal. It's like wearing a sleeping bag, you know. But you pay big dollars for these yeah. these items. You need um, a good down jacket, though, if you're going to New Zealand. I think a down jacket is almost a survival tool. Mm. So you don't only need to look at it, I think, when you're healthy, but if you got injured, um, if you had to leave your buddy on the side of a hill to go and get help because he's got a buggered leg or, you know, serious yeah. injury, what can you leave that person with to make sure they don't die of hypothermia overnight? And it's not just a saying, it's a real real concern or issue yeah. over in New Zealand. Yeah, for sure. So... Um, that's pretty much what I had, Marty. What did you have for your wet weather gear? Yeah, I ran the first light uh, wet weather gear because I think, and um, yeah, that's one of the best, well, if not NZ wide, uh, worldwide, I guess. Um, yeah, I just took their lightweight series, so I took the Vapor Storm Tight Rain Jacket, which yep. is like another pack jacket, um, packs up really small, and I actually took the pants as well because they pack up pretty small, but I didn't end up using the pants at all, um, so that's note for next time don't take the pants um and then i had the first light chamberlain um down jacket puffy jacket and that was really good because that actually was my pillow as well you know had that in a stuff sack for me pillow and then um yeah during the day or during the night when we got back to camp used that as well so yeah it was really good and then um yeah brendo what um rain gear do you have mate yeah i yeah i just had that um the one that I got from Aussie Disposals, the just a Gore-Tex outer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also had a uh, a down jacket which I brought with me. Um, you know, that's another uni buy when I was at university um, that I already had in the cupboard. So I was sort of lucky with that. Brought that over. Yeah. Um, it's just a Mont one. Mont's a really good yeah, Mont, brand. Yeah. Mont, Mont's good. Yeah. Um, so I had that as my because you need something when you get back. To whether it's camp in a tent or in the hut, you yeah. need to get out of your wet gear um, and get into something dry, and it just gives you that energy and the time and the space to re refocus your mind and focus on next day and how you're going to beat them. Yeah, <laughs> how you're going to find, Spe- yeah. find where those tar are hiding. Especially too, if your sleeping bag's not rated that high, you can yeah just chuck your down jacket on yep. and go to sleep in it as well. So yep. yeah, really good. So I guess that um, sort of as a, if I was going to build a picture of someone that was looking at us from our gear all the way up, the exo um, skeleton, I guess, is our packs um, and packs that we took. So, Marty, what pack did you take over? Uh, my pellet and custom pack. Yep. So I've had that for about three years, I think now. So, yeah, that's. Well, I don't know how many liter. It'd have to be a hundred, hundred liter plus, I reckon, by the time she's fully loaded up. Yep, with the amount of pockets and that, and yeah. Attachments, yeah. But um, yeah, I tried to keep that as low weight as possible, and that was my, obviously that was my pack we took over there. So another good tip is too when you're travelling and you can get to the airport with the Glad Wrap machine, try and get to the Glad Wrap machine and wrap all your buckles and stuff as well, because when they just throw yeah, on the right turnstiles, yep. unless you got like a big, um, large duffel bag or a dry bag, you can slip your bag into that weighs not much at all. Um, yeah, you don't want to get over there and you've snapped, especially yeah, snapped, smashed, well, smashed a hip belt. Yeah, that'd be the worst. Load. Sternum strap's not too bad, I guess, but even a load lifter load or load bearing part of the yeah, pack. Yeah, that's what happened with our mate um, Benny Clark when he went over there. He got his 
frame jammed in the turnstile or something and snapped. So, yeah, just it happened. So it was good getting that stuff glad wrapped. So that's just another pointer too for no, fifteen bucks well. a wrap or something like that. Yeah. Marty. yeah. So I got yeah. I mean, Herbie Brennan both got our bags wrapped and I got me bow case wrapped and so did Herbie. Yeah. Yep. So no, that's just another thing um, we did and yeah, that was my day hunting pack as well. So I just had a just the pallet and rig on the front with my GPS and binoculars. And then I'll just strap me bow to the me pack, and then um, yeah, it actually packs up pretty small, and there's nothing in it. You just got a bit of food. It just inches down easy. Yeah, so no, I was pretty happy with that, and yeah, obviously the meat loading shelf on the Kafaro frame um, comes in handy. So yeah. And Brendo, what did you take? I've got a um, wilderness equipment pack that I bought obviously when I was at uni, um, and I think it's about a oh, 90 liters or 100 liters or something. It's got a roll down um, dry bag style lid on it. Um, I was super impressed with that pack. It's it's old. It's tried. It's tested. It's it, no, it does a job. Um, Gaffer tape on the outside of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's got some custom mods. Yeah. Um, what about the dead dog bag? <laughs> yeah, I've got a big plastic um, bag that we talked about at university. It was um, just like a yeah, it's called the dead dog bag, but just a plastic bag that you slide inside and then you put all your gear inside it, and then that way when you roll it down, if it rains, it, you know, it keeps it all dry. So it's called a dead. Dog bag, bag because you can get, get those from bags the from the vets yeah. that they put dead dogs in. Yeah. Dogs in. <laughs> so <laughs> you go to your local vets and ask for a dead dog bag, and it might cost fifty cents. Yeah. It's a very heavy PVC bag that acts as a pack liner. So if your pack itself leaks or you fall in the river or whatever else, at least all the stuff on the inside of your pack will stay dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with the dry top, dry sack lid on that. So that was good. Yeah. So Brendan doesn't have like a flip over turret lid. Um, yeah, he's just the, got the roll up. Um, dry sack, dry bag lid. So yeah, yeah, does the job. Pretty good. Yeah, so it's got all you know your standard hiking, you know packs attachments and it's got a bit of webbing um, and stuff on the outside. You can cinch your rifle to and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, I can yeah. put my rifle on the outside of it. Um, yeah, it's a good pack. It's just the only one downside is that it's a top loader. So yep. once you fill it, if you got something at the bottom, so you just have to be mindful about when you pack it, how you're going to access that gear. You know, what do you put at the top so it's easy accessible, stuff like that. Yep. You know, first aid kits or, you know, down jacket or food or whatever it is. Yeah. Just need to be, but yeah. you get you get good at that when you own a pack like that. And yeah. When you leave out of it. Jealous when I see you guys just roll up and unzip all your mods and you can just get to everything. But yeah. Because Marty's is a horseshoe zip on um, <laughs> his. And unfortunately, Paladin is no longer in Australia for this point in time. But Marty, you've got a horseshoe zip on yours. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I was one of the first ones to get the horseshoe zip. I just liked it because it is a top loader as well, but if you do have something on the bottom that you want to get or something has slid down, you can um, do the horseshoe zip and you don't have to undo the whole pack, which can be a bit of a pain in the bum, but no, it's all good. And the mine that I took over was a Kafaru Reckoning, which is about 102-105 litre. Once again, without a guide lid on the pack, which you can put on the top, sorry. Um, it is a rollover type snow um, dry, sack. dry sack so it's like a big GI bag that can extend when you need it to yep. and just roll the top down and it closes the top of the pack off and it's got a centre zip on it um, and I found that that was quite handy and the centre zip opens from the top and from the bottom so that if I needed to get I knew where my sleeping good stuff was at the bottom I put all those big bulky items down the bottom and then I put um, all the other bits and pieces that were incidental to my daily sort of activities packed out throughout the pack so I could unzip the center pack and get to those things that would be my cook gear or whatever else i tried to keep the things that i wanted at the very top so it might be a change in weather so i needed to be able to access my wet weather gear i could just open the top of the pack and 
um, off I go. The other thing I put um, at the top of my pack was my bladder um, so that I could access that at any time um, while I was walking. It was easy to refill if we came to a water point and those sort of bits and pieces. So I think um, to sum up the pack side of things, it doesn't have to be a hunting specific pack, but the thing that I would suggest when you look at packs is that you don't buy a pack that um, hasn't got a really good external frame that isn't in some way adjustable to your size or build, that you have some load lifting type capability on it so that you can actually pull your pack down onto your, your shoulders and a sternum strap and a um, waist strap. So I guess I'm trying to steer you away from the, the canvas bag that you might find in, yeah. um, you know... Travel uh, store. Yeah, travel <laughs> yeah. store. So it should be a load... load a pack that's built to carry a load so whether it's a um an outdoor adventure yeah, a yeah, mont wilderness out, equipment, wilderness yeah. equipment Mac, yeah. backpack. a backpack um you know you don't have to you have, don't have to go hunting specific yeah no. but you definitely do research about it before you it's going to be expensive so make it make it make a good choice totally and i guess um the the two things i want to say about that marty and i made a conscious decision when we purchased our packs to make sure that we got them in colors that weren't just in a camo um, or a cam pattern so that when you went through an airport or whatever else you didn't attract the wrong sort of attention mines yeah, and wolf and if, grey and yeah if, if you want to use it to go tripping with the missus or whatever, pack training yeah pack training people like oh where are you going because you got a camo pack on or whatever but yeah, yeah just, just ver versatile as well so you can say if you want to travel you can buy a pack for that and then you can use one for hunting so you've got two packs in one sort of thing so yeah. and, and the other thing I want to touch off on I guess is that Expect to pay around that 600 to 1200 or how much more you want to yeah. spend on a pack. But after you've walked 12 hours with a pack on that might only be 30 kilos heavy, it mightn't sound like much and that I can curl yeah. that in the gym or whatever. But when you're walking all day on, on uneven ground, you will love the day that you made a decision to buy a good pack that saves you back, yep. yeah, truly. Sure. But 30 you know? kilos is still 30 kilos. Like People like, yep. I can get me packed down to 15. I'm like, there's no way I can get my pack down to 15. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing too is to always plan for the worst. So let's just say that you had to walk your buddy's pack out with your pack. So he might be able to walk out, but you've got to carry his pack for him. So you might be at, say, 30 kilos, but your pack needs to be capable to carry an extra 20 kilos. Yeah. yeah, you know, or meat. Yeah, or meat, yeah, or yeah. Uh, and then just yeah, like yeah, trying to use it for a date, day, trip, day, day trips it, as well. Yeah, like, I sort of don't do that with my pack because it's just sort of it doesn't. There's no other way to run it as a day trip bag. It's too big and bulky, so yep. often yep. I'll always have my little um, like fluoro orange Stony, Stony Creek, Creek uh, top yeah. loading. It's just an 18 liter yep. day pack or 20 liter or something, um, and I always just run that. And I just strap it on my chest and then put my big pack on my back. And that's sort of always done. We went. Yep. And yeah. It's good because it brings some weight forward too to counteract the weight that's on your back. So you yep. can put some heavy things in that when you're on the walk in just to balance yourself out a bit. It's good. Yeah, well, I took the Ontario. So I was able to um, yep. just dump my big pack, take my Ontario, which is another Kafari bag, which is about the same sort of leaderage what you're talking about, so that I could put enough in there. I could put my water in there for the day. I could bring back something if I had to with it. Um, that I could, um, you know, effectively hunt for the whole day and stay at overnight if I needed to. So there are a number of different options, I guess, to look at um, with all that stuff. So um, 
without dragging it down too much into the um, technical data of all of it, we're, we're trying to cover off on a few things so that people that are thinking about it, and um, this is probably going to be a two-part episode or so. But um, well, the other thing that we looked at to share load as well. So I said to Marty that I'll take the pack. Uh, sorry, I'll take the tent. So I took a Hilleberg um, Nayak in with me. Um, and while I took the, that stuff, and Marty then um, took the cooker. So when you get your group together, and we just said stuff, Brendo, he can take with both of his own. <laughs> yeah. But um, you two were having too much fun in your tent. I yeah. heard you at night. It was just like two little <laughs> possums in a log. And that was all. <laughs> Brendan was a bit cold, I think. In his yeah, he was just yeah. jealous. Uh, so plenty of space for me. Um, I think that taking a good tent, um, without spending twenty minutes talking about tents, but taking good tent. Um, particularly in any of those sort of conditions that are that are, you know, you could be in mm. minus temperatures, and it can be a life-saving yeah, thing. Especially in tents for yeah, we heard stories of people have been in their tents for the whole trip. So yeah, we're pretty lucky. Obviously, going around that April May time, it is good weather. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just hard. Um, yeah. It is hard when you're thinking when you're not knowing um, what conditions you're going to face daily. Yeah. And uh, we planned that if we needed to, to set up a camp, because we didn't know if we were going to be with our, our plan that we initially had from A down to Z, yep. whether we were going to be in huts, whether we were going to be living out of our tents for the whole time, whether we were going to be stationary, whether we were going to be you know, moving every day. Yep. And we planned with enough tarps, so with between the sheep tarp, the two tents, so that we could set up, set up the two tents with a tarp over the top of both of them and have like a communal sit down and talk area, um, feeding area, dry that sort of thing, area. dry yep. area. Um, so we planned for all that sort of stuff and made sure that the tent that we had was um, at least, when you when you talk about tents, there's um, a whole different, I guess, category that tents get slotted into. So you might have a four, a three, you know, or a two. Season tent. Season yep. tents. Yep. So um, mine was a four season, yep. um, which means that if the snow comes, it banks up the side of the tent we're still going to stay dry. Um, what tent did you take? One's a mountain, mountain hardware, I think it is. It's it's a Canadian one. Yep. Um, I bought it uh, when I was at uni. Um, I think it's called a Spire was the version, but I yep. can't find it because I try to find any secondhand ones. So I've got parts for it, but yeah, it's probably oh, fifteen or twelve, thirteen years maybe old. Yeah, yeah thirteen years old. Did you do outdoor ed when you're at uni? Yeah. Nature, yep. Outdoor ed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at Bendigo. Yeah. Yep. The trail was good. Um, so that's, you know, that got me into where I am now for hunting is, um, you know, you're outdoors, you, you learn all the gear, the tactics, the food, the meals, the fitness, everything. Yep. Um, and that, that's four season tent, isn't it? It's a four season tent. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and it's still good because it's still got mesh up the sides as well. Yep. Like normally four seasons just have your, your liner. Yep. Um, yeah, and apart from having maybe heavier poles, that's the only yeah, real significant difference. Yeah, I could, you could feel the difference between Herbie's and mine tent when you you know held them in, in two hands. like one in As one in weight hand. difference, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one's one and a half kilos complete with everything. Yeah, yeah. mine was probably closer to three or so 200 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you're going to pay for that as well. Yeah. Um, you do. As in price. So yeah, you can get your two season, three season, four season, then you can go to ultralight as well. So yep. yeah. I found that the NIAC was actually, you know, Marty, what are you, 6'3"? 6'4", yeah. 6'4", yep, and I'm 6'1", and I'm 6'2". Six six um, we just top-to-tailed it. Um, that's what we're going to tell the public, but we actually just <laughs> zipped our sleep bags together. And <laughs> but um, we were quite comfortable in there, and it's rate, I think it's rated as a one and a half 
person tent. Yeah, apparently, yeah, one and a dog or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we we quite easily fitted in there, and um, we had heaps of room. I, I do yeah. believe that some nights I did wake up cuddling Marty's feet. Yeah, but um, you It'd know, be interesting and, and, to see if you had done five days in there though. Yeah, you know, solid rain. The, the vestibule is still pretty big, like yeah. for the packs and that. I was pretty impressed with that actually. Yeah, yeah. kept everything dry. So yeah. So do your homework. Have a look at when we talk about the vestibules. They're the um, wings that come off the side of the tent that you can store your internal stuff. You, yeah packs and whatever else your boots and so yeah another thing to think about too is with your vestibules is um they're either side access or front access so yep. depending on people's trains of thought or what they're being brought in the pros and cons that each one people like going in the side because then you don't have to climb through the front and climb over all your gear to get into your tent some people yeah, like the other way. So it's just something personal preference. There's no right or wrong. So yeah. yeah. Was yours a front or a side? Mine's a side with yeah. a single opening where I had a tent before that, which was um, dual opening. Yeah. So. Um, which is probably better for two blokes. But for, yeah, yeah, obviously heavier and um, only three season that one. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, what brand was it? That was a uh, Marmot. I yeah. think it was. Yep. That I had a Marmot. Uh, I think Limelight three. I think it was. Yeah. Or Limelight two. Um, and it was it was a couple of hundred dollars still. Like it was a still expensive tent, sort of around that five hundred dollars when I bought it years ago. Yeah. And Marty and I've done a, a few trips with it, and um, we knew that it was big enough. And the reason why I bought it was so that Marty and I could um, look at that weight reduction. So I take the tent, he takes cooking gear and yep. the food. But it was quite a, a thing to put up too. So if the weather had turned to absolute dog snot and it was blowing a gale, the um, ability to put the um, Hilleberg up, it's done in within two minutes. Yep. Yeah, and especially up- with your... Yeah, because another thing about tents too, I know we said, we said we're not going to talk about tents. Like you, you can get um, some of the well higher high name tents like your Hilbergs, etc. Um, they have their poles on the outside of your tent. So if the, it is really windy and the weather does turn to poo and um, your pole snaps, it's not going to go through the roof of your tent where yeah. some of the other ones, um, your tent, your poles go under your liner, I guess. Um, what was on your one? Your pole, it had like a, yeah, not, not clips, did it? It had just that. The Hilleberg's sh- got a, a tube that yeah, you feed the tube, pole yeah, through. On yeah. the outside, yeah. So... It makes it less likely to, for the pole, pole to have any yeah, cause there's snappage. More, cause there's more, yeah, because there's more surface contact, I guess. It. And um, it's good too, especially if your tent's wet. Um, you're not getting everything in. Like you can put your gear inside your tent and that's not getting wet while you're still trying to put up poles and tent, yeah. yep. accessories. Yeah. Opposite of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's just pros and cons. Like yeah, new technologies coming out all the time. But have have a have a chat to um, mountaineering groups, um, all those sort of things. Just don't rely on just hunting groups yep. because they're the guys that are out there as well yeah. doing it um, yeah. flat out, and not just brand sponsored people. They're guys that might be and girls that are out there. Yep. Um, and when I say guys, I don't mean that in any sort of you know singly sexual. Way, yeah, yeah, it's just just guys as everyone yep. out there doing that. Um, day in, day out, maybe contact some of the universities that are doing their um, outdoor education or those sort of places and see what sort of tents they run, you know, as yeah. suggestions. Um, moving on from that, I guess um, we are going to end up breaking this into two parts. So we'll do the prep part 
Yep, we'll, we'll move into all of those bits and pieces. In, in a yep. Marty's just pointing at our little list of things, reminders, because we've all got brains like fish. Uh, <laughs> we're getting sidetracked. Yeah. Particularly with Jack Daniels. But, um, you know, um, so we'll cover all the prep stuff and then part two, when we take a break, we'll come back to part two, which will be actually on the Grand New Zealand. Yep. yep. Um, so um, a really good sleeping bag. Yep. Yep, so... I've got a um, body bag, I think it's called, from Kafaru, um, and it's a, a center zip, and it opens in three different ways, so you can actually um, sit up in it if you want to. <laughs> um, you can access it in the middle of the night, um, the slick bag from Kafaru. Um, so have a look at all of those um, different bags, but the things that you will um, constantly hear about size of natural downs compared to synthetic liners and those sort of things yeah. um, in comparison to their warm you know you can get into a, a bag that's all when you're soaking wet and the bags wet and stay warm and dry it yeah. comes down to your um, comfort zone I think and what you like a mummy bag which I hate mummy bags particularly so tapered and yeah. you feel really restricted yeah um, you can look at quilt systems you can look at a whole range of different things just don't be tied into what the salesperson in the um, camping store or the hunting store or the outdoor store says do your research yeah. have Very, a look at how you like to sleep um, and whether if you're a side sleeper like a quilt is a better option for you um, yeah like if you want, a, your liners. want yep. a larger foot box yeah if you if you already got a bag like that's five or six years old ten years old even and say it five degree negative five whatever you can buy thermo reactor liners that can boost the temperature by 10 to 15 degrees yeah, and that's then, a cedar summit product yeah and then even yeah sleep in your down jacket as well like yeah it's just there's constant like i said before constant um technologies upgrading like treated downs now versus synthetics like synthetics are good when it's wet but obviously it's just the heavy and the bulk factor you've got to sum up as well so yeah and how much area that the actual bag itself is going to take up in your pack you know yeah so that's like yeah if you've only got a 60 litre pack like yeah it wouldn't be beneficial i don't think to take a synth uh yeah synthetic bag because you probably want that down bag to be cinched up as tight as you can just so you can get everything in your pack and that's yeah. why i like everything in your pack rather than strapping tents and sleeping bags to the outside and yeah, roll mats and stuff losing yeah. it snapping poles and stuff so yeah so brenda what did you take for your bag i've got a, it's a down bag as well i'm a down person i don't like synthetic but um it i had an old cat man do that was obviously from uni but i ended up um getting a new one for this trip it was um my wife bought it for me for christmas i think it's called mountain expedition or something like that um bought it online i think it might have been say 300 dollars or something like that um and that had a, like a 770 or 780 or something like that fill close to 800 anyway that's um, pretty solid yep. yeah and i was toast and especially in the hut like when we're in the hut it just is too hot yep yeah but that first night when we um you know stayed near the car when it was minus eight or something overnight you know it kept me warm no worries yeah so yep you don't have to buy the top end stuff if you don't want to, but just do your research. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's fair. So um, I think the things to, to look at is bulk in your pack, warmth to the degree that it's actually rated to, and there's a survivability um, warmth rating and a comfort warmth rating to have a look at those particularly. Yeah. Contact the place that you're going to hunt or close to and say, do I need to have a minus 50 bag? You know, because you think that you might, and they're like, yep. "Holy moly, no way, man!" Like you'll be like a roast lamb in that. Like, yeah. you just need a minus ten. 
And the reason why I say that is because the, you're going to be paying a lot of money for a bag that's going to keep you alive in the Antarctic compared to a summer bag that's going to keep you alive in yeah. Darwin. Yeah. Um, uh, look at the things that you can add to your bag, being the um, what Marty was saying, the Cedar Summit. Um, liners or just even a silk, liners, even a silk just liner. A silk liner yeah. Just so you don't have to wash your sleeping bag yeah, and your bag doesn't get stinky. Yeah, you just... Yep. Um, all those things, that. they all help. Your sleeping style, like we said before, uh, quilts for side sleepers, um, tapered mummy, um, relaxed foot box, and then, yeah, I think that's about it. All those things. And, we've, and we're, not, we're not coming from a never use them. I've got a quilt as well, or a sleeper quilt system over in Australia, and um, you know we've all slept in hammocks and all those sort of bits and pieces before as well. So this is just our experience with what we thought needed for New Zealand. So yeah. Yeah. Um, a sleeping mat, talking about the sleeping mats, um, just quickly, I, I took a brand new Cedar Summit um, uh, I can't quite remember the name of it, but it's one of their ultralight mats that they just brought out. Um, so I had an issue with some of their other ones that um, got a hole <laughs> in them. Yeah. And on Marty and I went on a five-nighter, and um, first night I was flat as a tack. You know, <laughs> and does the opposite of what you needed to do. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh my lordy, lordy!" Like I'm not enjoying myself. And all I can hear is Marty enjoying his sleep in his little tent, going, oh, you know. And I'm thinking, my arthritic shoulder is hating these rocks I'm laying on. So, um, but I, I bought a um, a pretty good mat from Cedar Summit um, to take over with me, and I liked it for its weight factor. And for its R rating. Yeah. So R rating, do you know what that stuff's about, Brando? I think that's like about the um, uh, like the temperature rating that it can handle. So yep. what it can go down to and stuff totally. like that. And then yep. it'll, it'll get put into like a comfort level or whatever. Yeah. Just like your down bag. Um, but yeah, I think I ran a, it's a Neo Air 2 or something like that. It's yep. just, you know, just like all the others, they just roll up tight and you open them up and blow air into them. Um, but mine... Mine has some sort of insulation built into it. I, I don't know if it's an R3 or an R2, but um, yeah, it did the job and was happy with it. Yeah. Because before that, I had a I used to run I used to run thermorest at uni, but yeah, I had um, sort of a three quarter one, and that's not ideal for New Zealand. I wanted a full length. Yep. Um, just because the chance it might be sleeping on snow for the night. You know, you want a full length that no part of your body. Well, you suppose you could run a pack underneath it. Some people do that, but I just that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I got. Yeah, yep. I think that um, Marty, what did you you run? Um, Thermarest Neo Air. Um, yeah, not the X Therm, just the normal uh, Thermarest. Uh, yeah, three point two rating. Um, I got the regular tapered, and looking back, I probably should have got the large tapered just because of the shoulder width. But the length's fine. It's just the shoulder width. Sometimes you'll roll off, but that's just something to note as well. They come in sizes, either and a large or small. Well, yeah, they come in small. Like Brendan said, you can either get a half mat. Um, Three-quarter Three-quarter mat, yeah, small, medium and large. So well, just check your... large for Marty. Yeah, just check, <laughs> your, just check your specs too when you're looking at mats like that. Um, yeah, and like it, it is... Mine rolls up to about a Coke can, I think, how small it does, but it is probably better just to get a little bit bigger to get that comfort night sleep because yep. you don't want to be um, up up um, all night trying yep. can't sleep. You know, you, and you can't yeah. always camp on a dead flat ground. Totally. You, you see quite often you're slipping off the edge or yeah, yep. you roll into one end. Just naturally as you move in your sleep, you'll end up finding you're down at the bottom of the tent. 
Yeah, I think yeah. when you look at New Zealand um, itself, that's what this podcast is about. But you can also, I guess, use it as general hunting advice as well, I guess, yeah, coming correct, from Australia. Yeah. But um, there isn't a lot of places in New Zealand that I saw that was flat um, when you're hunting tar or chamois. Mm. They don't live in flat areas. <laughs> Unless you're right on the top of the yeah. region, you're fully exposed. So yeah. um, even uh, one afternoon when we decided that the rock that we'd seen on the way in when we walked back out was a tar and it was an absolute cranker of a bull um we were debating whether we were going to make camp at the base of this huge slide this grease slide and get after it in the morning or not and all of that was going to be about um taking advantage of any of the ground that we had between us which was about maybe three meters by um half a meter wide yeah just pretty much enough to put a a tent floor down yeah. you know and um someone was going to be sleeping uphill and downhill you know it was just so having the comfortability like brendo touched on before about the ability to not just hunt all day but when you come back and you're tired and you're weary and i'm in my mid-40s heading towards my 50s to be able to get a good night's sleep can mean the world the next day mm. so oh, sure. you might have had a disappointing day where you've um Shot and lost a tar. Shot and lost a tar, like someone with a red beard sitting opposite from me may or may not have done. <laughs> and had an absolute hell of a trip back through some thick meat-removing bushes that he decided to <laughs> rake his body through. Brazilian rainforest. You know, <laughs> just terrible. But to be able to um, get back to the camp, retell your story, and then get a good night's sleep and do it all again the next day, I think is vital, particularly when you're going for more than one night. Yeah. Um, and you're wet and you're tired and you're shitty and, you know, nothing's been going your way. So invest in a sleep system. It's worth it. Pillows, we all took different systems. I took a blow-up pillow. I think Marty took um, his puffy took me, jacket. took me down jacket in the, one of the pull-outs, yep. And I think Brendo just cuddled into Marty for a fair bit of the time. <laughs> Big fluffy hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but, I think I just, yeah, I just rolled up a jacket inside my sleeping bag or no why don't I use my down bat my down sleeping jacket I yep. think yeah just rolled that up into like a pillow um, so that covers off on all that the last two things I want to um, and we can go on forever about it is just our um, optics in as far as binos spotters cameras that sort of stuff so just just very quickly I'd like to start that section off I guess with it's endless <laughs> it's it is absolutely endless it is budget restricted only. You can spend, you know, ridiculous money on all of that stuff. Make sure that if you're buying a camera, um, Marty's got a Canon SX60. Yep, they got the new one out there, SX70, which is 70 times zoom, which is better again. So, yep, and they're only 500 bucks, I think. Yeah. And it's been Marty and I've been out quite a bit in the bush where we haven't able to, or the scrub or the woods, whatever country come from. But we haven't been able to actually identify the um, size of the bone on top of the head and we've used the camera to zoom out, take a photo and then bring it back and have a better yeah. look. Yeah. So we've used it almost as a spotter as well. But the Canon has been an absolute... SX60, I think you... Yeah, SX60, yep. It's been an absolute magnificent thing. Um, I took the Maven binos over. Um and they were 11 by 42s, I think they were. Yep. Um, and they were pretty damn clear. They were really good good optics. Marty, what binos did you take? I had the Vortex Fury, yep. Inbuilt rangefinder ones, yep. And how'd you rate them? Yeah, like you said, you can see that nearly Australia from up those hills. So 
probably the more money you can spend on binoculars, especially over there, is the better because that's where you use them most. Like in Australia, not not really the terrain, I guess. Yeah, you're trying to like like look as far as you can over there, and they're there, and you can't see them. You need to actually sit down and pick apart that whole hill, yep, bit by bit. Um, have yeah. a bi- have your binos on a tripod like it makes so yep. much more difference and then you can't freehand it <laughs> no nah. well yeah like and that's what the things you you heard stories about guys taking 15s and then taking 10s and then taking a spotter as well but especially if you're coming like um, yeah you don't want to bring your whole hunting gear over on a shipping container you carry it yeah and <laughs> especially it. to get it over on a plane like you just got to say alright I'll take the spotter or you take your spotter I'll take my camera like yeah just a bit of common sense. So, Brendo, what did you take? I've got um, the Vortex Razors. Yep. Um, yeah, and I love them. They're, I mean, Marty actually hooked me up with them. A guy I sold them to me from Queensland just on, on Facebook or something like that. Yep. Um, but, yeah, they're secondhand, but they are awesome. They're, you know, such a good pair of binoculars. Um, yeah, I rate them highly. They're good. So, I think that the morals of the story is buy the best that you can afford in your optics because you're over there to... Shoot an animal, right? Yeah. Yep. So you don't want to walk three Ks to see that what you thought was a bull is a nanny. Yeah. If you're chasing bulls. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be able to also um, use your binoculars to assist you to pick a safer path to be able to traverse across some of that country because it's like Hell's Canyon. Some yeah. of it is just Dante's yeah, Peak. That, that, yeah, Dante's Peak. That, that <laughs> monkey scrub, thorny stuff. Yep. Yeah. And to be able to look into it in the um, those golden hours the last half hour of light when animals are moving around um and from the other point of view too your buddy might be um stranded hurt or whatever else and you're looking for him you want glasses that are actually not going to fog up ridiculously that you can maybe pick a path that's fastest to your buddy to go help yeah and using good binoculars um you know and you don't have to spend 12 to 15 to two to two and a half whatever you can actually buy binoculars for five hundred dollars that that'll um, at least get the job done for you at that yeah, sort of a, yeah. you know. Because at the end of the day, like, it is, it would be nice to have Swaros and Likers and yeah, whatever, Zeiss, but it. at the end of the day, like, it might be a K away or two Ks away, like, you still got to have to walk that, like, you can't shoot that far. You're going to still have to walk that far and try and get within yep. 300 yards or yep. 200 yards to try and shoot it anyway. So, yeah. yeah, I suppose it just eliminates, if you do have that high-quality glass, yeah, you can have a look from a kilometre back and go, oh, yeah, he's not the one, where if you don't have that glass, you might have to walk, say, 500 metres or halfway there and have another look up and go, oh, yeah, no, he's not what I want. So, yeah, obviously just try and afford what you can. um, Buy the best you can. Buy the best you can. That's probably the best motto. Like, yeah, obviously if I've got three and a half grand, I'm going to try and buy Swaros, but if you don't, we can only get what you get at the end, yeah. Poor man pays twice. That's yeah. exactly it too. Yeah. Uh, I think um, there's enough hunting forums, there's enough hunting um, secondhand market on yep. social medias and stuff yep. that you can start surfing and doing your, your um, price point expectancies, I guess, of what the secondhand market will offer you. Yeah. Even just ask your buddies, like, if your buddy, if you're going over in April or your mate's not hunting rut or whatever, just ask him to borrow a spotter, give him, say, I'll fix it if it breaks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've just um, given a bunch of buddies that are headed over actually to um, Craig and Josh, headed over to the America, I've given them spotters, yep. um, 
the cameras. I've given them all sorts of stuff. Do it with ink. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just around the, the, the eyepiece. Yeah. Eye but to 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 the point where I would actually, if that if they had took a tumble and the gear got broken, yeah. I would feel happier that they were using it and and having an absolute awesome time. Hell of a time, yeah. Than it been sitting in my cupboard and not using it. You know, so yeah. I've, I think I had at some stage five sets of binoculars. Then I went to US and then my wife, he said, honey, some optics have to go. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, I think yeah. I think Marty's right on the money there. So but that's another thing, like we were saying with the camera. So obviously, yep, you can get a spotter as well. So spotter is more... Um, more money, bigger well, to carry. More money, weight. I guess, bigger to carry, better in wet weather, obviously. Yep. Like you can't use your camera if it's pouring down rain unless you've got a cover for it. Yep. Um, you can get some pretty funky adapters, like you can get a phone scope adapter, you can click your iPhone in so you can actually zoom in and take photos. Probably the only reason I went the camera instead of the spotter because, yeah, like Herbie was saying before, you can actually zoom in and take photos and footage um, of the object as well rather than glassing. And I just like glassing behind a, well, I guess looking through an LCD screen rather than concentrating one eye into a spotter. Like yep. I know people can get eye strain and eye fatigue and that by doing that. Um, yeah, it's just all pros and cons, I guess, yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to add on that before we break um, is looking at taking a tripod worth her weight in gold. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, for sure. Marty, what did you take over with you? Well, I tried to do it all in one. So I took the Spartan uh, Spartan system. So it's from Spartan Precision Equipment? Yeah, Spartan Precision Equipment. So it's a... It's effectively, awesome. it's effectively a tripod, um, walking sticks. I've got an adapter for my camera, so it's a tripod for that, and it's a shooting platform as well. So, so shout out to who did you get that from? I ended up getting that from Stager Sports in New Zealand. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. So, yeah, obviously you can take bipods and, yeah, tripods and, even for the binoculars, it was really handy as well. Like, obviously, you can't film and shoot if you wanted to shoot off it at the same time. So it does have downsides. But as for trekking poles and walking poles, they were really handy too. Um, a few people said to take trekking poles if your if your luggage can allow it or yep. if your budget can allow it. But um, yeah, I was really happy with that all-in-one system. And they go pretty high too. Yeah, I got bloke yeah, I got the bigger one, so, so I got the I got the mountain, so um, I think sometimes that, you're looking up the hill, so you need it even taller again. Yeah, I think that goes yeah. like one point eight. Yeah, especially you notice when we're glass and look out, say from one side of the river up to the top, like you're leaning right back on your pack, and yeah, off the binos um, on the tripod, it's like fully extended, nearly all the way back, trying to look up. Yeah, it's so first, I was first time over there that you actually have to go down on two knees to bino things so you don't fall over backwards. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, yeah, just stand on the flats and look. You can't stand on the flats, obviously, but, yeah, when you're on that screen and stuff looking up. Um, yeah, so I was really happy with that all-in-one system. Yeah, I was really stoked. Cool bananas. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll take a break. Um, I'm going to push stop because I don't know how to push pause on the on the Zoom um, where we can do the things that we need to do. And then we'll come back and have a quick talk about um, New Zealand itself, its people, the hunting culture, what we found over there, and the things that would suggest people prepare for or look into. Yep. Yep. Okay. Taking a break. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, 
please don't hesitate to contact us on huntycampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.